Welcome to Books, Broads, and Booze. This is your host, Jamie. And I'm Monica. Hello, hello. We are here today discussing a beautiful book called How Beautiful We Were by Mubo Mumbi. Is that how we say it? Um, I said Mbolo Mumbi. Mumbwe. I could read it in my brain. Yeah. But, like, my voice won't translate it. The lips don't <laughs> say what the mind thinks. Right. So I got some great discussion questions from the website readinggroupguides.com. I believe this is the same one that we used last month, too. It was, yep. So our first question is, throughout this novel... Oh, do we want to give, like, a brief overview? You want to tell us a little bit about the book, and then we'll jump into questions? Yes. Okay, so the book, I I love to read books to escape real life. And this book is about one of those real-life situations that I don't like to think about. But it was beautifully written. I would even go so far as to say it's a masterpiece. And it's a fictional village in Africa who is being just abused by the oil companies basically ravaging the land and poisoning the water and the people who live there and the government doesn't care they're right they're all, taking all the money right so it's definitely a book about a group of people who who feel completely powerless and who really don't have any recourse for every horrible thing that's being done to them in the name of progress right yeah so there are first we'll get more into some of the gritty details yeah (laughs) so our first question is throughout this novel the author immerses us completely into the village of kosana the people's beliefs hierarchies customs and rituals what resonated most with you Go ahead. You go ahead and answer this one first. I'm curious. <laughs> I, I, I just I, I have this fascination with religious beliefs and religion, and I loved their rituals. I mean, like, I didn't, I wasn't aware of anything quite similar to it. So I just found them fascinating, and I like the twins. I love the twins so much. They're so creepy, and yet you know, like, I'm fascinated by them. I was going to say the twins, too, so I was cute. That's why I asked you first, because I thought you might have said that, too. And the twins, they're like the medicine people, the medicine men of the village, and they were born that way. And I, I really, really liked the village life and how much of a community they were. And... It, it's so much different than the West where we're so individually oriented. Oh, completely different. Completely and different. yeah, so it was very heartwarming, I thought, to get a glimpse into their everyday life. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was pretty awesome. I have a friend that was a Peace Corps mm-hmm. volunteer, and she said that life there was completely different than here. She was like, there you, she was with people all the time. And just always with people, and she came here, and she's like, oh, it's so lonely. (laughs) (laughs) But now she's back to being American. She's like, people, ugh, they're the worst. (laughs) 
So why do you think the author chose to tell the story from multiple points of view? How did this impact your reading experience in connection to the characters? I liked how she did that in the book. I don't think you could have got the depth of everyone's feelings mm -hmm. if it had been a single character. Yeah. I, I liked the multiple characters, too. Definitely. It was so well. The story just sort of flowed. I loved it. And it's in the... It's almost like a reading a memoir of all of the people in the village over the time that all of this was happening. Right. So you're not only getting the events of what happened with this oil company, but also like how it affected their everyday lives and how they had to like bury sick children and they knew it wasn't natural and um they can see the physical changes happening to their village. Right. Yeah, it was I, I, I don't think it would have been the same, I agree, if it had just been from one point of view. The stakes in this novel are high, and the fear and defiance of the characters are personal. What are the parallels between the environmental degradation in the novel and the social economic challenges of our country is currently going through? I felt like this was, like, pretty close to home. I mean, like, poison water, corporate benefits, um the government turning a blind eye to it all. Uh, I feel like, yeah, this is definitely happening to rural countries here in America. Oh, yeah. I mean, just think of all the protests um, for the pipeline and, you know, Native people trying to defend the land. And, and even here with Almost Flint. no yeah. recourse. Yeah, in Flint, Michigan, and I, from what I understand, it's still an issue over there. Um, just kids not having clean water to drink, it seems like not fathomable. Especially in 2021. Exactly. It seems insane. It really does. It seems like it would be a basic human right that everyone in the United States would have clean yeah. water. And it just seems to me that as a, I don't understand how these companies can not have a conscience. I mean, we have, we all have to live on this planet. Like part of, part of being in business, you would think would be to figure out how to do what you need to do without hurting the actual place that we all live on, <laughs> you know? Well, the company is run by CEO and he's just trying to make the board members happy and they just want money and they don't really know what, what's going on. Nobody really knows all the gritty details It's ever maybe a handful of people and they just don't care. Right. Ha <clears throat> <laughs> ha. When Conga rallies the village to take Pexton representatives hostage, how did you feel? <laughs> Were you glad some of the action was taken? Did you feel a sense of foreboding or both? Could you understand the character's desperation? Personally, I was kind of excited about it. <laughs> I was like, yeah, well, first that's of all, I loved Conga because he was definitely schizophrenic. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, all the classic symptoms of it when the onset of it happened and, and just how he was, but it didn't mean that he, what he, he wasn't smart. Right. He was definitely an outlier to the village. And yet they all took turns caring for him and feeding right. him he was, and stuff. He was respected, but he was also kind of scary. They're like, right. they couldn't touch him, 
but they wanted to make sure that he was taken care of and you know right. they, they didn't have any bad feelings about him and because of his mental illness i think that he was able to take some sort of action that nobody else in the village would have ever even considered and actually i did have that sense of foreboding and also kind of cheering him on a little bit because they were so powerless they had no there was really nobody they could talk to or they had no one to advocate for them and it, it was a desperate act and i feel like it was about the only thing they could have done right yeah. i was amazed that it went as well as it did i thought for sure they were all going to be gunned down and the book was going to be like another village right oops sorry that was our first village they all died here's right. the next one yeah <laughs> Yeah, it it did have a, it was very suspenseful for sure. And these poor people, you can see, um, they're not, they're not mean or vengeful people. They're not terrorists. They're, they're just trying to figure out how to live. They want to just keep living their traditional life mm -hmm. and doing what they do. They're not asking for a lot. They're not asking for more. They're asking to keep what they already have. Yeah. And take back what they've lost. Yeah. So, and question number five. What do you think is responsible for the conditions in Kwasana? Pexton, His Excellency in the country's government, the legacy of colonialism, a combination of all these things? Oh, that's a big loaded question. <laughs> it is, is complicated. And I, I would definitely say that colonialism definitely starts it. Because the, His Excellency is in power, the government is completely corrupt, and that starts from like the top down and that is like very much from the colonialism only a corrupt government who doesn't have its people's best interest in mind no care for the people is gonna allow an oil company like that to just rape the land i was with gonna no say recourse. rape your country right yeah yeah just sort of like take his pleasure and leave mm -hmm. a bloody mess yeah okay <clears throat> How would you describe Wojabeki in one word? Oh, slimy. <laughs> <laughs> Sniveling. <laughs> very good, very good. <laughs> Why do you think he chooses to work for Pexton? Was it a choice? Do you know anybody in real life who behaves in a similar way? I don't know anyone in real life who behaves like Wojabeki. Well, I, you know, though, in all fairness, you know, this is someone who... He's wanted to take care of his family. Trying to do his best in the circumstances he has. It's all about your priorities, really. And, and it's a good example on the, on the microcosm level of what was happening in the macrocosm, you know? Right, right. So he would be like the government, you know, allowing this to happen and benefiting from it. Of course. So, yes. So he's personally benefiting from the terrible things that are happening to his village just like the government is personally benefiting, benefiting from the oil company and what they're doing so in a way you can't really blame him i mean do i know people like him sure absolutely you know i i would i mean i think a lot of people take jobs and do things that maybe doesn't sit well with 
um, with them. Like maybe they feel like they're really not doing a good thing, but they feel like they don't really have a choice. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It takes a village to raise a child is an African proverb. How do you think it relates to Kwasana and its people? What about the United States and the rest of the world? Their village was so cute, and they were just so, so much a community and cared about each other, and it was, I wish we were more like that. Yes, they definitely, um, you know, looked out, it was just, it's not a mind your own business kind of village, like say the town where we live in would be (laughs) I mean I don't really know very many of my neighbors I know a few of them but I don't know all of them and and like their gatherings you know like the on birthdays and weddings and like all of these things that happen and everybody gets together and you know it was just really I agree heartwarming you Mm -hmm. know and I feel like we're so disconnected here Oh, and, and we're going to talk about Tulia here shortly. Mm. Is that how you say her name? I said Tulia. Thula. Thula. Okay. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> she she goes and li- is living her life, and the whole village is, like, invested in her. Like, the whole village is like, you need to tell these boys what to do. Like, you know, like, we're still connected. Even though you may not physically be here, we're still, we're still together. Right. And I was just like... That's so sweet. I'm yes. like, and she is riding those boys, and they're <laughs> they're misbehaving. Those boys, yes, uh, the children. What do you think was the catalyst for? Okay, yeah, I forgot how to say her name already. Thula. Thula's transformation from student to revolutionary. Oh, Thula, Thula, she. Out of all the characters, I disliked her the most, oddly enough. Really? I don't know why. There was just something about her that I did not like. Although, I could see the progression of what happened to her. Uh-huh. So, I don't know if the catalyst would have been when her father left to complain about, you know, when his, the children dying and never came back. I don't know if it was when his uncle and the others were hanged. Or if it was when the soldiers came and shot up their village. Any of those things could have turned a person into a revolutionary. And I'm, and it's not that I dislike her because of her actions or anything like that. Maybe she did seem a bit... She seemed self-absorbed and, yeah. and sort of aloof. And yes. I, I figured that was part of like a PTSD trauma. Maybe. And yeah. so I had I had a lot of empathy for her because I was like, mm-hmm. you are so young. Yeah. And so much has happened to you. I, I'm like, yeah, you're, she was very cold. She was. She was. And I mean, but also at the same time, she dedicated her whole life to this cause. To the village. Right. So that is something only a caring person would do. So she was a very compl- complicated character. Um, and hard to get to know. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was hard to read. Yeah. <clears throat> so when when she arrived in the United States, she observes, this is a place where people stand in line for everything. Those who arrive first stand in the front, no one paying any attention who is the oldest or the neediest. 
and there is a great deal of speed over here. Everyone seems to need to be somewhere sooner than possible. What <laughs> does this say about America? Oh, man. So much. It says so much about America. That our priorities are definitely a little skewed. It's all about individualism, me, 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 and I don't care about my neighbor. I don't care who's needy. I don't care who's elderly. You know, this is the fairness of America. I was here first. Right. And it's how we behave in a world stage, too. And and, and frankly, it is embarrassing. Uh, so much about we're us. Like a, complicated. Um, we're like a spoiled teenager. <laughs> Is that not the truth? Yeah. Do you think there's an ideal way a U.S. oil company could work with another country and its citizens? What guidelines would you set for such an arrangement? Oh, that's a big question, too. I think a, a good guideline would be sort of... I mean, like... Pay-wise, you're going to say what's comparable, right? Like you say, okay, here is the cost of living in your country. Here's the cost of living in our country. So they should be making a comparable amount of money for each position in that country here, right? Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, like, I think that would be a good start-off baseline. And then, like, that country's environmental regulations probably don't exist. You're probably going to write them. You have to be held to a higher standard. You should be, yeah, you should be holding up to, like, what is best for the planet. Mm -hmm. What's best for everyone, not my pocketbook. Right. Which, sadly, I don't think that any oil company today would really care about that. (laughs) Neither do I. Neither do I. And I think that, you know, I mean, you have to, you have to take into consideration who's around you just because there's oil there doesn't mean that that land is yours but you know obviously there were people living there somebody was there first and and it, just because you have the money to do the good lawyering doesn't mean what you're doing is ethical so i think i would like to hold all companies and governments to a higher ethical standard you know, to be able to have some empathy and put yourself in other people's shoes. And I think we'll move forward a lot faster the more people can can be empathetic. So we only have a few questions left. So let's talk about our booze today. Woohoo! It's Bell's Sparkleberry Raspberry Belgium Style Ale. It is very sparkly, very raspberry. Yes. It's funny because it's so cute and pink, the can that I expected it to taste more like a wine cooler, but it is definitely like a raspberry-flavored ale. It's quite good. It says on the can, Sparkleberry is slightly tart and effervescent with a bubbly red hue. Sparkle on. <laughs> and it, it is slightly tart, so yeah, it doesn't have a sweetness really to it at all. And local brewery, yay. yay. Although I think you can get Bells pretty much anywhere now. I think so, too. Yeah, yeah. Well, I saw it in Florida, so... It's nice and refreshing, though, for, like, a summer... Yeah. Because it's hot and it's kind of gross outside. Definitely. I say boo, boo to the grossness. Oh, I hate summer so much. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. Me too. Okay. What role does American media play in Kwasana's battle with big oil? Do you think it helped or hurt the people's cause? What more, if anything, could the media have done? So, I mean... Their court battle was so 
so heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. And they had the Americans that came in that were trying to help them fight the other Americans that were there hurting them. And they're like, well, we're going to, we're going to bring in this newspaper guy, this magazine guy, and he's going to help you. And the Americans rallied. They're like, yeah, we should help this town. Which I think, I think that's pretty common, like America to have like this sort of knee jerk reaction and we care for a day. And then Mm -hmm. when it's over, it's gone. Well, I mean, I think it's, we, we feel that sense of outrage, but also these things are too big even for us. I mean, we're, we're opposing these huge entities that have a life of their own now, you know? And I will agree that the court was so heartbreaking because nothing got accomplished. And in the end, it's like, well, we're going to win basically because you definitely will not have enough money to see this through. Right. Right. So, well, so that's not being right or wrong or winning. That's cheating, you know, for real. And yeah. And, and that happens to people all the time. So unfortunately, yeah. Yeah. Whoever has the most money to play the game. Yeah. Right. So the front of the cover of this novel is striking. What does this image mean to you, and how do you think it relates to the themes of the novel? So it's these sort of like grayed arms that are broken off, right? The front of the cover. I don't remember. No visual memory, remember? Oh, oh, yeah. They're holding hands. Hold on. (laughs) Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Yes. So they they look like they're plaster, but but they also look injured. It, it's sort of like the, the, how the water turned gray and became poison. It's like these arms, hands are clasping, but they're sort of like torn off and they're degrading and they're turning bleh. Yeah. So the only things um, that we didn't talk about that I felt were sort of important was it, is it Tula's brother that becomes the government man. He marries that woman yes. who's all in this fancy pants and like, the money's there. Just take it. That's what people do. Yes. That was I Tula's brother. I cannot stand her. And mm-hmm. I was like, how can you be Tula's brother? I mean, like, seriously. Yeah. Ugh. Well, he was also a lot younger and probably doesn't remember as much as she did. And although he was invested in his sister while he was young, she was gone for a long amount of time, too. Right, because she went off to school, and mm-hmm. then she was living in New York. Yeah, so you know, it's like it's like what happened. It's like what happened to everybody in the book. They all picked a side, you know, pretty much. And like the children, we didn't talk about them a whole lot, but they got very militant. Yes. Yeah, I, I wanted to talk about the boys, mm-hmm. so to speak. Yeah, I mean, like they were. She's not they were there to lead them, so yeah. they were there to make their own choices, and mm-hmm. they decided that they were going to fight Pexton the, the only way that they could. So, you know, they're, like, kidnapping and killing, and mm-hmm. one of the guys is like, you know, listen, man, I'm just some low peon dude doing what I can to get by, too. Why are you doing this to me? Why are you doing this to us? And they're sort of like, oh, yeah, yeah this needs to go higher. Yeah. Yeah, and and they did a good job of helping you understand 
how this happened to begin with. It's very easy to say, oh, those terrorists. And right. I'm not I'm not saying that I think they should have done the things that they did. I don't. But I am saying that the book did a really good job of expressing how they felt they, there was nothing else that they could do that would make a difference. Understood the complexity of how terrorists grow. Exactly. Right. And Thula was very nonviolent. Like, that was her one of her biggest things. But even she, at the end, kind of turned a blind eye to what was going on. I was really disappointed at her... End mm-hmm. of the story. I was sad about it. I was like, oh. Yeah. That was not what I expected at all. <laughs> yeah. The I, the book does not have, like, a really feel-good ending to it, just as an FYI. Yeah. So, sorry to disappoint. Now, I really, my two favorite chapters were Thula's mother and grandmother. Uh, Oddly mm-hmm. enough, they were the most powerful for me i don't know if it's because i can relate to them a little bit more than i could the other characters but did her mom have like magic healing things that she did like for the brother or like when they oh yeah no healing and stuff no but um was it maybe it was thula who was no, 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 I don't think so. No? I don't remember. I know that they had, they healed her brother right. magically, but, like, that was the twins that came and called him. He literally died, and they called him back from the afterlife into his body. But what I really liked about the mother was, you know, her husband disappeared. He was gone. She doesn't know if he's dead or if he's ever coming back. And oh, it's their custom yes. to... um remain not, not remarry single the rest of your life and she's so mad you know yeah. she's like so mad at him and she's so mad that this is what her life is and right um she wants to hook up that with that guy yeah <laughs> yeah one of the guys that come to help from the aid society or whatever and then the the grandmother you know her husband was just a very bitter old man and had suffered some abuse that she didn't know about horrific abuse at a young age right and and so it explains so much of why he was the way that he was such a difficult person right and she always loved him anyways and understood him in a way that nobody else in the village could and i just thought their story was very beautiful also i agree it was it was and in the end she's the one that told her daughter her daughter asked her well you know she convinces her daughter to go marry the guy in the city and um her daughter's like, well, would you have remarried after, um, was it Big Papa? After Big Papa died, would you have remarried? And she said, no. And I would have regretted it. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. So, yeah, it, their stories were the best for me. I liked them way more than I liked Thula and the children. Yeah, I uh, I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it and the guy that she remarries treated her really nicely. Right. And, like, she had a pretty good life with him, so... Right. She seemed happy. Yeah, that was definitely she a was, better She had the happiest story. ending out yeah. of all of them. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. Yeah. 
So all in all, my recommendation for this book is like if if you want to read a fiction book and like feel good and escape reality, do not read it. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you if you feel like you need to have some civic understanding and like be a part of you know to be a witness to some of these things that are truly going on in our world, even though this is a fictional story, then definitely. I mean, it was um, it was a masterpiece. Like I said, very well done. It was it was beautifully written. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, it's it's fiction, but it's very much things that are happening today. Right. So, yeah. Highly recommend. Definitely. Well, thank you all for listening. Yeah, we'll see you next month. We haven't decided what to read yet, though. <laughs> It'll be a surprise for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Bye. Bye.